Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. It is so good to see you this morning. I want you to open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, please. Uh, looking at uh, our last sermon, and uh, probably our last one anyway, in the series called The Prophets, looking at the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And we're on our sixth sermon, uh, third one on Elisha, beginning in verse 24, okay? Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria <clears throat> as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, the woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? And she answered, The woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, May God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Skip to chapter 7, verse 1. But Elisha said, here's the word of Elisha, the word of the Lord, the word of the prophet, okay? Hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians to hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that, he said that, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into the tent and ate and drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent. And they carried off things from it. And they went and hid them. And then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeeper of the city and told him, we came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one there to be seen or heard, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. <clears throat> My Father in heaven, I pray that you give us wisdom as we look at this passage of Scripture. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the characteristics of your salvation. Um, God, help us to see our responsibility to tell others what you've done. God, impress that upon us today. Make us, make us men who... Men and women and students who, who constantly have on our lips the words of your salvation. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you'll remember a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> we were in uh, uh, the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, and we were looking at a story called, uh, about Naaman, a guy named Naaman. Now, in that story, Naaman experiences the salvation of God. God saves him. God heals him. Uh, God converts him. He, he kind of turns away from idolatry and turns to uh, worshiping the true God. And we talked about that the, the story of Naaman is a picture of God's salvation, a picture of the gospel. Okay. Now, if you've been here at Lincoln Avenue very long, you know that when we talk about the gospel, at a bare minimum, we talk about three things, don't we? We talk about sin, right? You can't talk about the gospel if you don't talk about sin. I mean, what are we saved from? Well, we're saved from sin. We, we, we have to understand that man is internally broken. We do the wrong things. Why? Because we have a wrong heart. We don't love God like we ought to love him. We don't, we don't love the things of God. We don't want what we ought to want. We are internally broken by sin, okay? So we talk about sin. Second thing we talk about is the cross, okay? The gospel doesn't make sense without knowing that Jesus Christ is God's son. God sent Jesus to live a perfect life on the earth, a righteous life, and then he died a substitutionary death. When Jesus died on the cross, it was for you. It was for your sin, to pay the penalty of your sin. And then the third thing we're going to talk about is faith and repentance. We're going to talk about how in order to be joined to what Jesus did on the cross, you've got to turn away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so anytime we talk about the gospel here at Lincoln, we're going to talk about sin, we're going to talk about the cross, and we're going to talk about faith and repentance, okay? We're going to talk about those three things. Now, when I say this morning that the passage we just read, I believe is a good picture of God's salvation. It's a good picture of the gospel. There's lots of lessons that you and I can learn about how God saves our souls and our responsibility toward others. You're going to say, whoa, 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 pastor, once again, we don't hear anything in this story about, about sin. We don't hear anything about the cross. We don't hear anything about Jesus. We don't hear anything about, about uh, faith or repentance. I mean, all we hear is, you know, bird poop and donkey's heads and famine. And, you know, I mean, what are we talking about here, pastor? Okay. Now, now again, remember, Jesus hasn't been born yet. That doesn't happen until Matthew. Okay. This is the Old Testament. Okay. God is, God is still setting up for his people, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And in doing that, God is, in the Old Testament, flexing his muscles. He's showing us how he saves people, how he delivers people, how he's, how he's mighty to save. He's showing us about his grace and his love and his mercy and his judgment. And so from these stories, we learn lessons about our lives today. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this story, and we're going to talk about God's salvation. We're going to talk about telling people about Christ, and we're going to look at our own salvation, okay? See how God delivers a city? See how God delivers a soul, all right? So we're going to go back and forth from those two extremes, all right? So let's start by talking about the situation that we find these people in in this story. Uh, here's how I would describe it. Most horrific situation imaginable, okay? That's how I would describe it. I mean, they're, they're hopeless, they're helpless, they're starving. Uh, the situation is that the city has been surrounded by the Syrian army. Uh, back in these days, if you wanted to defeat a city, uh, the cities all had walls. And so instead of like sending all your soldiers in to scale the walls and knowing that a lot of those guys are going to die before you finally take the city, you know what they do? They just go bring, bring all their stuff they bring their army, they bring all their stuff, they'd surround the city, and they'd just be like, you know what, we're going to live here for a while. And we're not letting any food into the city, and we're not letting any people out of the city. You come out of the city, we're going to kill you, and we're not letting anything in the city. Well, what would eventually happen? The people in the city would starve, you know? They would run out of food, they'd run out of supplies, they'd run out of everything. They, they couldn't get out to their fields, they couldn't get out to other cities to trade and to go to market. And so they would literally run out of food, okay? Okay. 
And, and, and so that's what's happened here. And, and things are in a desperate state. Now, how do we know that? Well, people are buying donkey's heads for 80 shekels of silver. 80 shekels of silver is a lot of money, okay? And a donkey's head is not the part of the donkey you want to eat. Personally, I don't want to eat any part of the donkey. You know, I, I just, I'm donkey, you know? You know, go, go to lunch today, I'd like a donkey burger. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't eat donkeys anyway. But if you do eat donkeys, you don't eat the brains and the eyeballs, all right? You know, but, but that shows how bad things have gotten. The, the most unappealing part of a donkey is selling for thousands of dollars, okay? And then the second thing it tells us there is they're, 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 they're selling dove poop, okay? I mean, it says dove dung. You know, I, I read a commentary that's like, you know, it can't mean that. Uh, it must be like an idiom, you know, like people will, will use a phrase, you know, and it really means like bird or like animal fodder, or feed or whatever, you know? Okay, I, I could buy that, but really I don't think there's any need to because, you know, people are just thinking who would ever eat that, Okay. What's the next passage about? It's two women eating their kids, okay? Now, I'm just thinking I'm probably more likely to eat dove poop before I eat haven, okay? And so, so I don't have any problem believing that things were that bad, okay? I mean, I, I mean that, that's the picture here is that women are eating their children, okay? Uh, I mean, that's a horrific situation. So you've got a city in, in desperation, a city with no hope, a city with no help, a city that's just, just saturated with despair, okay? Now, into this situation, we find the word of the prophet, okay, which is the word of the Lord. So what, is, what does God speak to the city, okay? Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Elisha says to, to the city, he says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Okay, now what, what's the word of the prophet? The word of the prophet is, is that God is going to do a phenomenal work, okay? God's going to do such an incredible work that though you're starving today, tomorrow, you're going to be able to buy 10 loaves of bread for a quarter at the gate. I mean, that, that's essentially what he says here. I mean, just this amazing story. In fact, it's so amazing, people don't believe it. The, the king's assistant here in verse 2, uh, the, the guy who, who the king leans upon, he says, if the Lord himself should open the windows of heaven, could this thing be? I mean, the, the guy basically says, look, I don't believe it. I don't believe that God could do this. I mean, if God cuts a window in heaven I, and, and lets out the riches of heaven, I don't think that this could happen. You know, he's a guy that doubts the word of God. You ever, you ever do that in your life? You ever, you, ever, you ever find yourself in a desperate situation? You find yourself in a situation that seems hopeless and helpless, and you, you, you read your Bible, and, and you're just like doubting the word of God? You're like doubting that God could do that in you? That God could really forgive your sins? That God could really change you or change your husband or change your wife or change your family or transform the people in your lives? Well, that's exactly what this, this, this army, this captain of the guard does. He doesn't believe the word of God. And, and so you've got a hopeless helpless situation. You, you, you've got the word of the prophet, the word of the Lord saying, I'm going to do a great work. I'm going to bring salvation to this city. Okay. And then you've got four lepers. These are the most interesting guys in the story to me. I, I really have grown to like these guys. Uh, verse three, you got four guys and they're lepers. Okay. Now, now again, what's a leper? A leper is a guy with a horrible skin disease. Okay. That's contagious. And basically he is separated from everybody. Okay, he's got to live out by himself. They, they can't live in the city. That's why they're outside the city gates, okay? It's because they can't live in the city because they're lepers. They're social outcasts, all right? I mean, even when the city is surrounded by an army, they, they don't let them in, you know? The poor guy's got to live outside the gate, you know, facing the Syrian army. I mean, I mean, they're just separated from everybody. They've got this horrible skin disease, this horrible, horrible life situation, okay? Now, these guys, though they've got pretty, some bad things going on in their life, they're still pretty sharp guys, you know? And here's the way they reason. All right, guys, we stay here outside the gate of the city. 
we're going to die. There's nothing to eat. We're, we're going to die. If we go in the city, there's nothing to eat there either. I mean, not that they're going to let us in, but let's say we could get in. Well, there's nothing to eat there. We're going to die in there. So, hey, we're going to die here. We're going to die if we go in there. Let's, let's go out to the enemy, <laughs> you know? I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, they're probably going to kill us, but, hey, maybe they won't, you know? And, and, and maybe that, that, you know, there's a chance that we could live. And so they take off, and, and they go out to the edge of the Syrian camp, and when they get there, they discover that God has worked an incredible work of salvation. Without firing a bullet, without, without throwing a spear, without one conflict between anybody, God has removed the entire Syrian army. God has caused them to hear and think that there's a a, a huge army coming after them. They drop everything and just run. They leave everything there. Now remember, these guys are camped around the city for for months. They've got like a town there, okay? And they've been been blocking all the shipments of food into the city. They've been accumulating that. So you've got these great stores of food and riches in these tents, and they've left them, and they've run, okay? And, And so God has worked this incredible work of salvation, again, all on his own, okay? You notice that? That's kind of like the cross, isn't it? You know, when you think about your salvation, what did you do to earn your salvation? What did you do to accomplish it, all right? If you're a born-again believer here today, you have righteousness in you. You have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your sins are taken away, they're forgiven, they're paid for. What did you do to accomplish that? Let me answer that for you. Nada, okay? You didn't do anything. God did it all, okay? God accomplished his great work of salvation, okay, for you. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He's washed it white as snow. Nothing in our hands are we bring. Simply to the cross we, we cling. Those are all song lyric, lyrics that we sing, and they're expressing this fact that God alone has accomplished our salvation, Okay? So God, God, God has, has accomplished a great salvation for the city, but here's, here's the interesting part. They're not experiencing it, okay? So salvation is here. God has done it. The city, they're dying, okay? Salvation is right there, but they're dying over here because they've not experienced God's salvation. They've not been joined to God's salvation. So these lepers go out there. They find it, okay? Now, what do they immediately begin to do? They immediately begin to enjoy it, okay? Isn't that what you do when, when you get saved, when you find God's salvation? You begin to enjoy it, okay? These guys are living high, okay? I mean, if you, if you read what they do, it says they, they uh, in verse 8, says the lepers came to the edge of the camp and they went into a tent and they ate and they drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and they went and hid them and they came back into another tent and they carried off things from it and they went and hid them and over and over and over this is the way it goes now now kind of put that into context okay sometimes when we're reading the bible we don't really get the get the punch of it because it's not language that we would use today but let me let me give you language that we would use today what they do well they went to one tent it's full of cheeseburgers all right and they're just feasting on cheeseburgers i mean left and right two-handed okay they get done with that. They scoop up all the valuables. They take them out. They hide them. They come back. They go into another tent. It's got a big pot of spaghetti. Man, they chow down on the spaghetti. They gather up all the valuables. They go out. They hide them. They go into another tent. By this time, they're ready for dessert. They're eating Krispy Kreme donuts. I mean, just one after another. You know, they take up all the valuables. They go out and hide them. They go into another tent. Big, big case of Snickers bars in there. Man, they're tearing them open. You know, they're just feasting. They're enjoying. Man, they're living high 
on what God has done, on what God has accomplished. And then all of a sudden, verse 9 tells us, they all have the same thought at the same time. Notice verse 9 says, then they said to one another. In other words, it's not just one guy that thinks of it. They all, four of them, here, here's how I kind of picture it, okay? I picture, you know, that you, you got a, a leper here and he's got Doritos under his arm, you know? He's holding five cookies in his hand, you know? In the other hand, he, he's got a donut, you know, and a turkey leg in his pocket, you know? And, and they look at one another. Their eyes meet, all four of them. And you know what they realize? What we're doing is wrong. Not the feasting. That's right. Man, that's, that's good. They ought to be doing that. That's, all, that's awesome. Okay? Turkey legs, Snickers, donut. That's all great. That's all great. But, but they realize that they are committing a moral failure, a moral sin by their silence. Now, what's weird about that is that most of the time we, we think of sin coming about because we don't keep silent, right? You know? I mean, how many of you, as you look back on your Christian life, you, you've got a lot of sin and that's come about in your life because you, you opened your mouth, you know? You, you had anger in your heart. Uh, you were hurt. You were ticked. You were bitter. You were unforgiving. And you opened your mouth and you said things that you shouldn't have said and you hurt people and you were critical and you tore people down and you slandered people and you gossiped people and you sinned. You sinned against God. You hurt other people because you, you, didn't, you didn't keep your mouth closed. You didn't deal with the sin in your heart before it came out of your mouth, you know? Or other times we, there's all kind of pride and selfishness in our hearts and instead of dealing with that, instead of, instead of taking that to the Lord and, and being prayerful and, and believing the scriptures, we, we open up our mouths and we say really selfish things and we say prideful things and we say things that we shouldn't say and we hurt other people. And, and so many times we think, you know, man, I, I need to keep my mouth closed so that I don't sin. And many times that is exactly the case because there are times where if we would have kept silent, we would have minimized our sin. But friends, there are other times, like this passage today, when the sin is we're silent. That's the sin. Okay? You get it? Are you following me? There are times when the sin is that we are silent, that we don't speak what we ought to speak. Okay? And, and you're thinking, man, I, I don't understand, Pastor. How, how, how is that ever a sin? Okay, let's have the Oklahoma City Zoo. I fall in the lion cage, okay? Not a good deal, okay? I am, I am desperately running around like an idiot trying to f- find the door to get out, okay? You're up there and you've got your dipping dots, okay? In your dipping dots, and you're watching me. And from your vantage point, you can clearly see that the door is behind the bush, you know, to get out of the lion cage, all right? And you know exactly what I need to do. But instead of, instead of yelling out to me, instead of opening your mouth and saying, the door of salvation is there, dude, get out, what you do is you put your dipping dots down and you get your phone and you, you start recording it to put it on YouTube, okay? Now listen, if a lion tears me apart, you know what? You have sinned. You, you've done something wrong, okay? You're saying, well, I didn't knock you in the lion cage. I didn't, I didn't tear you apart. Yes, but you had information that could have saved me, and you intentionally kept that back. If I'm up here on, on stage, and, and I just left Fifth Street, I always leave Fifth Street when I go by, I pick up one of those donut holes, you know, pop it in, you know, a little energy, get, get going. And, and let's say that, 
you know, they're making those something different and I'm allergic to it. And let's say I begin to go into anaphylactic shock up here on the stage. You know, my throat begins to close and my lungs begin to constrict and I begin to not be able to breathe and I fall down on the floor and, and, and I'm going down, I'm gonna die. And let's say you happen to know there's an EpiPen over in the kitchen. You know it's in there. We, we, you, know, you know we keep it in there and, and, and you know it's in there. But, but instead of telling anybody, instead of saying, hey, there's an EpiPen in the, in the, in the kitchen, you could save this guy's life. You just kind of watch the show, you know? And you watch me die up here. Let me tell you, you're a bad person, aren't you? You're not a good person. That, that, that's a morally wrong thing to do, to keep silent when you should speak. All right, so, so what, what, what are we talking about here? What we're talking about here is four men who have found God's salvation, who, who have found what the city needs, who have the ability to tell the city how to be saved, but they're not. Now, 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 what are they doing? Well, they're feasting, okay? And let me, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. As born-again believers, are we, are, is that a picture of us? Are, are, are we like those lepers who are going tent to tent to tent, just enjoying what God has done? Now, some of you, your immediate response is gonna be no. You're gonna, you're gonna say, it's not what we're doing, Pastor. You know why? Because we're still stuck in this sinful world and things are tough and I got problems and, you know, my life's bad and I'm, I'm sure not feasting on God's salvation. Well, <clears throat> I, I agree that we're still in this sinful world and that heaven is yet to come. But let, let, me, let me just ask you a couple questions. Is not the very fact that you are saved by the grace of God, that your sins are taken away and forgiven and that you will never enter into God's wrath, is that not a good thing? Are you not standing in a blessed position? Are you, are you not standing in a position of, of enjoying the forgiveness of God's sins that you don't right now feel the weight of his eternal wrath upon you? Are you not right now uh, feeling the glory of not being deeply distressed about dying and entering into an eternal hell of conscious torment where there will never be a moment of relief or hope the rest of your eternal existence? I mean, we don't have to worry about that. I mean, I, I'm standing now in a place of forgiveness. I'm standing now where I'm joined to Jesus Christ and, and I have the confidence of his resurrection life behind me and I have his power and his strength and his grace enabling me to walk through this life and I have the hope of heaven in front of me. I mean, we are, we stand in a glorious position as believers, okay? Now, I know you got problems in your life. I'm not discounting that, but I'm just saying the, the glory that is set upon us far outweighs the problems in your life. The psalmist, he realized this. Let's listen to how the psalmist talks about what God has done for us. In Psalm chapter four, verse seven, it says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. Psalm five, verse 11 says, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. Psalm 90, 14 says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You hear all that rejoicing? What's that about? They're rejoicing not because their life is completely problem free. They're rejoicing because they stand in a place of forgiveness. They stand in a place of being joined to Christ forever and ever. They stand in a place of God's salvation, of fellowship with God, of the, of the Spirit of God living inside of them. They're feasting on what God has done. And if you're a born-again believer, that's you, okay? That's you. you. You have that. God's given that to you, okay? And what these four lepers realize is that they have a moral responsibility to speak of what God has done for them. You know, ask yourself this question if you're a Christian here today. Why have you been saved? Let me, let me tell you why you haven't been saved. You've not been saved because you're better than anybody. You're not saved because you're smarter than anybody. You're, you're not saved because, because you earned it or deserved it. You know why you're saved? Because God has shown fit to show grace to your life. 
And he's shown grace to your life for the purpose that you might glorify him. Two weeks ago, we, we talked about that little slave girl in the story of Naaman. And, and you know what we talked about? We talked about all that little girl did was brag on God. That's all she did. And, you know, she bragged on God. You know what I'm beginning to see? That evangelism, okay, for those of you who don't know what that is, evangelism is, is me telling you about Jesus. Are you telling your neighbor about Jesus? Are you telling your family about Jesus? Are you telling your, your kids about the gospel, about how to be saved, about how to come to Christ, okay? What I'm beginning to see is that evangelism and worship are really from the same root, okay? A lot of times we want to make those things really distinct. They're really the same thing. You know what we do in worship? We, we, just, we just, just a minute ago, we sang songs. What were the songs about, Okay. They, they, they weren't about your pickup truck and, you know, uh, your, your, your friends in low places or your whatever, you know. I mean, you hear those songs all the time. That's not the kind that we sing here. What kind of songs do we sing here? We, we sing songs here that say things about Jesus, right? They, they say, Jesus did this. God has done this. Uh, this is who God is. This is, what he, this is what God does in me. This is how I feel about God, okay? What is that? That's worship. We are expressing with our mouth the truths about God. What is evangelism? Evangelism is the exact same thing. It's just not to God, it's to other people. It's just telling what God has done, isn't it? I mean, it's doing the same thing. It's, it's me telling another person, hey, this is who God is. This is what God's done. This is what God did in me. This is how I feel about God. I mean, it, it, that's all it is. And friends, let me, let, me, let me assure you, that is not too hard for anybody. It's already in you to do that. Worship is already in you, okay? Evangelism is already in you. It is wired in us to praise things. You, you, you show me a person who does not praise something. I, I don't believe there, there's one that exists. Everybody, everybody goes around talking about what they believe is valuable, what they believe is beautiful, what they believe is worth celebrating, okay? Everybody everywhere, all around the world, okay? We're wired to do that. People value and celebrate and praise everything from doll collections to Star Trek memorabilia to football teams to pickup trucks to trophy bucks to beautiful women to fancy houses to good music, classic cars, classic cars. People praise movie stars and video games and art and poetry and war heroes and political thinkers and bull riders and noodlers and wedding dresses. And here's one that fascinates me to this day, couponers, okay? You know, I mean, it's true. There's a whole show on TV that says, man, look at this lady. Wow, she's incredible. She cuts things out of the paper, takes it in and buys stuff, you know? I mean, I mean, we, we celebrate all kinds of stuff, don't we? We praise and we exalt and we value all kinds of stuff. So how odd is it when that's wired in us and we go around every day of our lives bragging up a motorcycle or bragging up a pickup truck or bragging up a buck or bragging up whatever, how odd is it that we as born again believers would not walk around bragging up Jesus? That would be an odd thing, wouldn't it? That would be a strange thing. I know what some of you are going to say. <clears throat> you say, man, Pastor, I, I see where you're going, you little sneaky guy. You, you're, trying, you're trying to get me you're trying to get me to, to feel like that I should tell other people about Jesus. Yes, I am. I think you should. I think you should, I think you should brag up Jesus to your kids. I think you should get in your minivan, and I think you should drive to wherever you're going to drive to eat. And I think on the way, you should, you should tell your kids, man, isn't God good, guys? Man, isn't, isn't God awesome? I tell you what, guys, God, God really blesses me. I love him. I think you should tell your kids that. I think you should tell your wife that. I think, I think you should share that with your friends. I think you should live your life doing just that. I do. Now, I know what some of you are going to say, okay? 
There's lots of excuses why. Okay, we've dealt with many of them in the past. You know, I don't have time. That's that's excuse for everything. I don't have time, or you know, I don't have all the answers. Or how about this one? I feel unqualified. I've heard that from a lot of people. I just feel unqualified to tell other people about Jesus. I don't know all the answers. I don't. I don't know exactly. You know, I haven't had any training. I don't know the Bible well, and so I just feel unqualified to share my faith. You, you know what's interesting about that statement? I feel unqualified. Is that that does not stop us in any other area of our life, does it? You know, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't stop us anything else. You know, you, any, any given Saturday, you go to some of these guys, just look around, some of these guys here in the room. You go to their house on any given Saturday, you know what you're going to see them doing? You're going to walk in one day, you know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be up on a chair like this, ladder, and they're going to have their ceiling fan apart, and they're going to be wiring that thing, okay? Or maybe a, maybe a light. They'll be putting in a new light. They'll be putting wires together. Be, you know, are they an electrician? Absolutely not. What do they know about electricity? Probably nothing, okay? I mean, nothing at all. They just took the other deal apart and said, well, this one's green, and that one's white, you know. Heck, let me see if I can put them together, see what happens, you know. I mean, they don't know anything about that, but they're doing it, you know. You come back the next Saturday, they got the hood on their, their car up, up, you know, and you, you go, hey, what are you doing? Well, I don't know. The thing won't run, so I'm, I'm, I'm giving it a shot. I'm t- trying to take this dealie off. What is this doohickey here, man? You know, I'm taking it off, you know, and, and they're just trying to fix their car. Are they, are they a mechanic? No, they're not a mechanic. They're not qualified. You come back the next week, oh, you come in their, in their, in their kitchen, all you see is feet sticking out from underneath the sink. They're jerking pipes out of the wall. Are they a plumber? They're not a plumber. They're not qualified to be a plumber. They're not qualified to do any of that stuff. It doesn't stop them, though, does it? Right? Uh, does it stop us from doing things that we're not highly qualified to do? Absolutely not. We give it a shot. Well, think about this. You're, if, if, okay, if, I don't, I don't know all of you. I don't know where you're all at, but I'm saying if, if you're a born-again believer, then, then you are a person whom the Spirit of God has drawn to himself. He has opened your eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ. You have seen that. You have known that. He's revealed that to you. He, he has brought you to a place of faith and repentance, and now you are joined to him, filled with his Holy Spirit. Aren't you uniquely qualified to speak what God has done? I think you are. I don't care if you have any training. I don't care if you have any Bible verses memorized. If you're a born-again believer, you're uniquely qualified to speak the Word of God. You know, I, 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 I stress this because look at who God chooses to bring the message of salvation to the city. He picks four lepers, okay? Who wants to be around a leper? Nobody. Who wants to talk to a leper? Nobody. Who wants to get close to a leper? Nobody, Okay? I mean, these are the four guys that are the most unlikely to be good at spreading any kind of message, okay? Because nobody wants to be near them. God picks these guys. Why? Why? Why why didn't he pick somebody else? He picks the four lepers. Two chapters ago, 2 Kings chapter 5, who's the person that, that brings the message of how Naaman can get saved, how he can get healed? It's the slave girl, Okay? It's, it's the one with the least amount of power, the least amount of clout, the least amount of influence. You, you know what I see as a theme in the Bible? God picks the most unqualified to do the greatest things through, okay? So if you're here today and you're saying, man, I just want you to know, Pastor, I am the most unqualified. You're first in line, okay? This is for you. The, the pressure is on you. I've been to seminary. I'm the most qualified. The pressure's off me. I'm gonna go and I'm not gonna do anything this afternoon because God's not counting on me, but you, the unqualified, God's gonna use you, okay? Pressure's on you today. God, God wants to use you. 
He, he wants to do great things for his glory through you. You don't have to have all the answers. Not, these guys didn't have any answers. What if you had asked them, hey, four lepers, where'd the Syrian army go? They haven't got a clue. They really don't care, actually. They care about Doritos, nachos, and donuts. That's all, that's what the, they don't care. They don't know. All they know is we're starving over there. We're saved here. And that may be all you know. I was once living this way. I was in my sins. But here's what I know. I'm saved now. And, and if nothing else, I can tell somebody that. Not only is there a moral responsibility to tell of God's salvation, my friends, there's also an urgency. Now, put, turn your attention to verse 9 again. Here's verse 9. Ready? It says, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. I, I mean, I love that. We didn't talk much about that. Isn't this day a day of good news, huh? Don't we got good news? If anybody's got good news, we got good news, okay? Listen, though. If we are silent, and then notice this word, and wait. See that word? Wait. What does wait mean? Wait means, it doesn't mean you're not going to do it, right? You know, if, 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 if I got a chore at home, you know, I'm supposed to put up Christmas lights for my, my wife, and I, and, and I say, honey, I'm just going to wait. That doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. It just means I'm not going to do it right now, Okay? So, so what they're saying is if we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. You, you know what these guys are saying? These guys are saying we realize that not only is it wrong for us not to tell, it's wrong for us not to tell now. It's wrong for us to put this off. It's wrong for us to delay. Now, now why would it be wrong to delay? There are certain situations in which it's wrong for you to delay, isn't it? You're coming back from a Christmas program tonight. Let's say you've been out in the country, someone's house, and you're coming back into town, and your headlights you know, strike upon something in the ditch. You slam on the brakes. You realize there's a car overturned in the ditch, okay? And you realize that there's a body. There's a person who's underneath that car. They're pinned underneath that car. And you look over at your wife, and you say, we got to help this person. We need to help them, and we need to get somebody out here to help these people. These people are suffering. There's a tragic situation here. And then you say, you know what, though? It's 9.30. Let's go home and get the kids to bed, and then we'll come back later and do it, you know? Hey, listen, what? You know what? That, that's a wrong thing to do, isn't it? That's, that's morally wrong. You've sinned against that person. You say, well, I'm going to come back and help them. Yeah, but you're not helping them now. Huh. They, they're dying. They're suffering. Let me ask you this. These lepers, they say this. We're afraid that if we wait, if we delay, if we don't tell the city, punishment will overtake us. You know what they're thinking? They're thinking, man, if the king finds out that we were out here for three or four days eating high and the city's starving and we didn't go tell them, we might be swinging from the gallows. But So let, let me ask you this, because here's where it really comes down for us. You think there's going to be an accountability for those of us who, who know Jesus, who've experienced his salvation? And we don't tell. Will there be an accountability for us? <clears throat> Let me read you some verses. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Paul talks about sharing the gospel in this way. He says in verse 14, I am under obligation. I'm under obligation. Both to Greeks and to barbarians. Both to wise and foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome. In 1 Corinthians nine sixteen, you know what he says? He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In Ezekiel chapter 3. This is a great one. Listen up. God talks to the watchman here. He says, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, 
but his blood I will require at your hand. What does that mean, friends? I'll just be real honest. That that verse is kind of disturbing to me. By disturbing, it means it makes me a little nervous. makes me a little uneasy. Because I'm not sure what God means by that. I will require his blood at your hand. What what does that mean? What's that going to look like, God? I'm not sure. What what he means is I'm going to hold you responsible to some degree for that guy. Not, Not that you caused him to sin. You didn't. His sin was his own. But I told you to warn him, and you didn't warn him. Now, some of you are saying, well, if I was a leper, and if I knew there's a truckload of food out here, and there's a city starving, I'd go do that, Pastor. But you're talking about talking about churchy things to my buddies on the rig. I mean, that, that's a whole different story. Is it different? Let, let, let me ask you. A couple, we're going to finish with this. Is it different? Okay. Let me ask you three questions. Number one, <clears throat> is mankind's condition of sin, is it? Is it as serious as a city in famine? So, so let me ask you, this. let's just think about that. Is, is it as serious? Is people without Jesus dying and go to hell, is that as serious as people without bread? Question number two. Is, man, is God's salvation of souls through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, is it as wonderful as a Syrian army leaving their food behind? Okay, so, so God's picture of salvation in this story is, is all they need to live. Food is there. Okay, God's picture of salvation in the cross is all you need to live eternally is in Jesus. Is that as good? Is it as lasting? Is it as satisfying? Is it as abundant? I think it is. I think it is. And so here's what I'm saying, folks. I, I, I think we stand in a great position right now in Jesus as believers. And man, I think we have not only the privilege, I hope it's a privilege. I hope, I hope this sermon is completely unnecessary for you because you're like, man, pastor, you don't need to preach this. I am so, I'm so, I'm so happy at what God has done in my life. I can't stop talking about it. Okay. Maybe that's you. You don't need it. Okay. Maybe it's not you. And, and what you need is, is to see what God has done, the glorious thing God has done. And that should open your mouth. Speak it to others. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done in us. God, thank you for your glorious salvation. Um, Father, I'm, I'm excited that we're about to partake of, of your supper, of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Father, just as the lepers were feasting on your salvation, God, we're, we're about to feast on, on what Jesus has done for us, on his work on the cross. So, Lord, let us enjoy it. Let us, as we partake of the bread, God, may it be meaningful that, that this is Jesus' body broken for us. And it's Jesus' blood shed for us. Lord, let us take that into ourselves. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.